Welcome to the LearCast by Lear Capital, the precious metals leader. With over $3 billion in trusted transactions, the LearCast aims to keep you informed and aware of precious metals news and events affecting the economy, the dollar, and your savings. Visit our website at learcapital.com. And now, here is your host, Rachel Mills. Welcome, welcome to the LearCast. Today's date is Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Let's start off with some financial numbers. The Dow closed down a little bit today at 34,810, down about 100 points from a peak on the 14th of this month. Gold is at 1951, up a little from last week's 1935 an ounce. Silver is pretty steady at $23.47. Bitcoin is up about 300 points today at 27,190. And just a little housekeeping, neither Lear Capital nor I are financial advisors. We sell precious metals and we have thoughts, opinions, and observations about precious metals, but we are not your fiduciary. Gold and silver may not be a good fit for you. That is up to you to decide. Take our commentary for entertainment or educational purposes only. Also, spot prices are spot prices. Anywhere you go to buy or sell, Lear Capital included, they're going to sell for a spread over spot and buy at a discount under spot. That is called staying in business, which we aim to be very transparent about. For more information about your particular situation, buying or selling, call 1-800-816-5452. That is 800-816-5452 and visit learcapital.com. Moving on to the latest top articles. Our number one article this week was our link to Tucker Carlson's Twitter video on Argentina and hyperinflation. Kudos to Tucker for bringing this topic to light. Not many Americans really know and understand what hyperinflation and monetary chaos is like. So find that link in the show notes. Second most clicked article was from Fox Business. GOP takes on Federal Reserve in battle over digital dollar on Republicans in the House bringing legislation to block a central bank digital currency in this country. Our third most clicked article is from Zero Hedge called, Thanks Joe, gas prices have never been this high this time of year. It's all about the rise in oil, depletion of the strategic petroleum reserves, and the seasonality of oil prices. So even though oil has been higher, this is an odd time of year for a spike. Links to all these articles and more are in the show notes. If you sign up for our weekly emails, these and more can be sent straight to your inbox. Visit our website, learcapital.com, to sign up and get these curated articles every week for news relating to precious metals and the economy that you may have missed. Call 1-800-816-5452 to speak with one of our account executives and get their latest recommendations in precious metals for either home shipment and storage or IRA holdings. That is 800-816-5452. Also, for a limited time, Lear Capital is having a $500 promotional offer. Mention this podcast and ask for your $500 account credit. You can use towards shipping and insurance account, setup fees and storage, whatever you like. You can get the credit now and use it when you're ready. 
It expires in 90 days. Call 800-816-5452 to take advantage of that. This week, I had two great conversations with two Argentinians. Inspired by Tucker Carlson's episodes on Argentina and hyperinflation, I wanted to reach out to some real Argentinian voices and learn more about what it's like to experience hyperinflation. What does it do to you psychologically? How it changes your relationship with money and even your relationship with the future. Take a listen. Welcome, Dr. Julian Martinez, to the LearCast. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on today. Um, you are an Argentinian and a friend of mine from many, many years ago. And I just wanted to have you on the show to talk about your experiences with Argentina, especially with the um, monetary crises. Sounds like there have been many serial monetary crises. Um, and just get your perspective and your your real world experience. So, So welcome, welcome. Thank you, Rachel. It's very nice to be with you and to hear from you again. Yeah, um, yeah I will. Uh, I will give you a, uh, like a bird's eye view of, of my life, not because it's interesting, but just to put things in perspective. So, and you stop me if I'm talking too much. I was, oh, even though right I was ahead. born in in, um, in Iowa, I was a, like I was telling you before. I went back to Argentina. That's where my parents are from. I went back when I was a baby, and I grew there. Uh, up until I was six or seven, and then traveled around other Latin American countries because of my father's job. Went back to Argentina when I was around 13, stayed there until I was around 30-something, and then came back to the U.S. in 2002. And with that, um, with those years, I, um, in terms of hyperinflation and inflation, I vaguely remember... Uh, inflation happening towards the end of the 70s and beginning of 80s and i remember my family talking about it i remember the the the, the bills the pesos what they look like how many zeros they had i remember a law that had taken zeros out of the peso which somehow made it better mm-hmm. but what i remember very clearly because i lived through it was the hyperinflation that occurred uh, i think it was in 1991 somewhere on there i was going to college at the time and it was the first uh, transition from one democratic government to, to another. And at that time, the long story short was that we were looking at uh, inflation that was somewhere between 900 and 1,000 in a year. And I, I said percent? that right. Yes, correct. Correct. And I was like, like 900% saying, per year? Correct. That is definitely the definition of hyperinflation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that many countries have had that. Well, if you know about history, and I know you do, you know, it takes you back to Germany in the 1930s. Germany, um, the Weimar Republic, actually 1923, 22, 23. Mm-hmm. I think Zimbabwe at some point. Zimbabwe, um, yeah, just more recently. So I was there, yeah. and like I was mentioning before to you, um, I remember I used to take a, a train on the bus to, to the university, and I can't remember the train, but I remember vividly that bus 28 would, would cost seven pesos in the morning, and then you would have to pay 20 or 25 pesos in the afternoon. Wow. And that's it just kept on going up. The supermarkets uh, were constantly uh, repricing things. When you had money, you would run and buy stuff because uh, it would evaporate. It would literally evaporate. The value of the money would, would disappear. 
that was back in those days. Um, there was some form of some form of dollarization at the time, um, basically by law and by by um, dollar reserves. The, the the government declared that for every dollar that there was in the reserves, uh, there would be a peso. So they went back to they did that, which is like a dollarization, but they call it the peso, and and that stood for for almost a decade. But everything collapsed again in two thousand and two thousand and one, I think it was. Yeah, two thousand and one. Yeah, right and that's when I left. But I've been in touch with people in Argentina, and for for personal reasons, um, I've been traveling to Argentina up until now three or four times a year, and I've seen and I've been very involved in everything that has happened. And it's very sad. And you practice medicine. You're a, you're a, a doctor. You're an OBGYN. Yes, ma'am. And in fact, my OBGYN. This <laughs> is how we met. But um, so so you are, you know, what would be considered like upper middle class. You know, you've got a good job and, and um, but you kind of see it all uh, working with uh pregnant women and delivering babies and like you, you kind of see everything. So um, like how, how is it for the, the various, like the very poor or the middle class uh, versus the wealthy? Like what, what's the, what's the experience that people have based on like, say, I guess their socioeconomic class. I can tell you, um, firsthand about the, the, I guess, lower middle class, if you will, because I was in a relationship uh, with a person, a long-distance relationship that, that recently ended, but, but for the last two or three years. This is why I was traveling so much. And, and she worked in a place that um, people go to pay their bills, if you can imagine that. It's not a bank. It's just a place in which you can go pay your bills. So the experience was incredible. We looked like narcs because I would sit with her to help her, and people would bring money. You know how Tucker Carlson showed the other day when he went with the $100 bills and, and he, people came with money and they would pay. And then in the morning, the next morning, we would go to the bank with a suitcase full of money to deposit. It is crazy. Um, That's crazy. It, it is crazy. And, and all the all the bills, I mean, all the bills. Imagine this, the, the, the bill with the highest denomination in Argentina right now is 2,000 pesos. And the dollar is 700 and change, 750. So do the math. The highest uh, bill uh, is two, did I make, did I say this right? Two and a half dollars, something like that. That's it. That is it. So people in lower middle class, middle class, get money and run to buy food because it's going to be more expensive in a week. Argentina now has a 12 or 10% um, monthly inflation rate. That is brutal too. It is tremendous. It's not nine hundred percent though, so no, the situation it, has improved dramatically. Apparently, what? But it, but it is still something that's it's crippling. There's no sense of uh, saving, no sense of uh, future, yeah. no sense of retirement. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how do you save in an environment like that? When you're middle class in Argentina, you don't. And, and, and anecdotally, what I would say is that when I came to the U.S. and, and got a real job here, and they told me how much do you want to um, put for your retirement. I look at them like, nothing. Are you crazy? <laughs> retirement? Give me all my money. And I wanted cash. I was, 
I was trained like that. Like, you don't take my money for retirement. What is that? I learned. It took me decades, but I learned. But uh, you survive. You survive. People uh, go and buy food, and, and, and then they, they will avoid as much taxes as possible. They'll sell and buy things under the table without paying anything. And that's the lower and middle class. The, the people with, with that have money because of their jobs or, or whatever, they don't save in, in money. People don't save in money. People try to, to buy assets. So if you can buy a second home, if you can buy or, or you can store things that you can buy and they never go to waste, then you'll buy, I don't know, a bunch of toilet paper and food and rice and, and batteries, things like that. But the money in your hand loses 10% of its value every month. And you got to chew on that for a while before you realize what I just said is incredible. Yeah, it's like a hot potato. You want to pass exactly. it along to whoever will exactly. exchange yeah. it, who will accept it. And you have to be. You have to be there to get the feeling of what it's like. And, and if you go to uh, to downtown Buenos Aires, it's a whole different thing. I mean, what Tucker Carlson showed is very interesting, and, and it's it's true. But the real drama is in the faraway suburbs and in the other states, the other provinces, where the, where poverty is real. Yeah. Take me back to like if you can remember, like when did the money first start to break, and what was that like? For people, like, was there a time that you can remember when the economy was stable and then it became not stable? Like, what was that like? I did. So after the the hyperinflation that I mentioned in the 1991, uh, the new government, like I was telling you before, some somehow um, uh, made a parity between the uh, dollar savings and the pesos. They they sold uh, a lot of. Um, assets from the state, from the government, which needed to be sold. I'm talking about um, the electricity company, which was uh, held by the state. The telephones, in Argentina, if you didn't have a telephone, you wouldn't have a telephone, period. I'm talking the 90s. Um, So they sold a bunch of assets, uh, the airline, and they got a lot of money. And with that money, they said, okay, this is all the money that the the country has. And, And it was backed up by the dollar back then because the dollar in other countries is almost like a gold standard because wow. there's nothing so, that. that in itself is interesting me it, to me. So they had nationalized a bunch of those industries and mm-hmm. then they denationalized. Correct. And, yeah. and let, and sold those back to the free market. That, that in itself is interesting. That's an interesting solution too. So then yeah. keep going. Yeah. So, so that, that was a very good start at the time because, okay, uh, this is all we have. This is all the money we have. And one peso equals one dollar. Uh, we're going to print one one peso bill for each dollar we have. Pegged to the for, dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so for around less than 10 years, there was a lot of stability. Uh, things went well. I think the, the politicians at the time, uh, President Menon, got very greedy uh, with their success. And they wouldn't let go of that. And then they ran out of money. So mm-hmm. what do you do when you run out of money in Latin America? actually in the U.S. too, you print more print money. Right? Up. Yes, that's right. Correct. So at some point, the, the, the Argentinian peso started to devaluate, and they didn't want to go out of that system of one peso, one dollar, but you started to feel the effect of that. Uh, things started to crumble because we were living in a, in a fantasy world. Like, no, one peso does not equal one dollar. It does not. It does not. So, so back uh, around the year 2000, 2001, it all started to collapse and Argentina entered some form of default with all the debt that it had and it all just crashed. So 
I remember, like I told you before, hyperinflation back in the early 90s. And then I remember no money in the streets in the year 2001, 2002. No money. So we were doing bartering. I think I told you about this back in the time when I was in D.C. We were doing bartering on the streets. And also every state, every province would come up with their own IOUs. We had like like 10 different um, types of bills. There was the Buenos Aires bill. There was the, the Cordoba bill. They, they had different names. A bunch of IOUs from different places. And I'll say one more thing and I'll stop talking. Uh, so I worked at an ambulance system, right? So okay. if they owe me 100 pesos, they would say, look, we can give you 100 pesos in three or four months, but we can give you 90 lecoques, which were the, the bills for the Buenos Aires. Okay, so I'll take the lecoques. It was, it was a perverse system. Wow. Yeah, that, that was going to be uh, one of my next questions is, yeah, prices are going up. How about wages? Like how, how are businesses paying their employees? Are they raising their wages daily <laughs> um, parallel to the prices going up? You can't because it doesn't work that way. You can't. You know, that's that's um, that's not possible. You... That's what people say. Like when when you try to uh, impress upon them the seriousness of inflation, they say, "Well, it won't matter because the wages will go up too." But it never in, catches up. In reality, it doesn't quite work that way. No, no, no. You just see keep you see people getting into worse and worse situations financially. People start selling things. People start doing illegal things. Um, you can't keep up with that. You just can't. It's chaotic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's very, very sad. And people that, that have money, uh, don't either they send their money uh, away to another country. If you are very wealthy, you can open an account here in the U.S. or they will open an account in Uruguay, which is a more steady country on the other side of the Uruguay, okay. Yeah, very, very steady country. Okay. Um, or they'll buy stuff. They'll buy stuff that, that, that will keep up. If I buy a house, Rachel, and I'm not an economist, my father is, but if I buy a house, I don't care if they say it's 100, it's 200, it's 50. It's still a house. I can use it. I can live in it. I cannot see that the, the loss in value unless I want to sell it. I can still use it. Right. If I, if I, if I keep dollars and the dollar gets devaluated, well, now I'm stuck with that piece of paper. I have well, nothing. Well, yeah, but the barter system, it's very difficult. I was explaining this to my son earlier today. If we had, say, orange trees and chickens in our backyard, we had oranges and eggs to sell, and I wanted a pair of shoes, I would have to find someone who needs exactly the kinds of oranges and eggs that I have, and they need that, and they have a size 5 shoe, which is my size, and in exactly the style that I want. You know, and that that's that's a big challenge, and my son could understand that. Um, but I mean, there there needs to be some kind of any intermediary thing that everybody accepts. Um, but when the money is broken, what do you turn to? Like, is is there something that you barter for that is like say easier to trade, like say rice or something that is easier to trade than just like I I don't know. I don't know either. I, I um, you can, and I don't know 
a lot of details about this, but you can look at the experience of El Salvador and their Bitcoin um, um, yeah. which is very interesting, at least because at least that's not regulated by, by government. It's a free thing, it's, but it's not tangible. It's scary. That's the problem. It it is decentralized. It is not controlled by the state. So that's a positive. But yeah, it it is ultimately a blip, a digital blip in your phone. Or well, on that, your- why, uh, I entertained it for, for probably a few months and I didn't put a lot of money, but then I withdrew it because I thought, like I told you before, I'm not very um, uh, IT um, uh, oriented. So I thought I need to have what I have in my hands or I can, I want to see it. I want to touch it. I cannot trust something that's out there in the digital world. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know that um, there's not a lot of precious metals on the street in Argentina right now no. because it's, it sounds like people can turn to dollars. Like people, people treat dollars as good as gold, you might say, yep. is yep. what I understand. But so my question is, what if there were no dollars? What would they do? Like what would a... What would, you know, an economy like Argentina do that's experiencing hyperinflation and there's not a, a solid, steady dollar to turn to? Depends on your financial situation. But um, if you are middle class or, or, or poor, you, you survive as you can. And if you have some money, I think you turn to assets, whatever, whatever assets you can put your hands into. Mm-hmm. something tangible stuff it can be gold it can be silver but that's more like for saving because i don't i don't see people out there changing a couple of gold coins for for a lunch it's it's to keep value of, of your value i guess yeah right but the what's in argentina when, when you talk about these things is that uh it's a very it's not a safe country so it, you you have to be very careful if you, if you have gold or silver because you can get robbed in your house. Sure. There's no such thing as a Second Amendment down there. <laughs> but, but you would turn into into things like this, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's very interesting. Like, um, I I first learned about hyperinflation in uh, college when I studied uh, modern Germany. But I mean, what's interesting to me is psychologically how it shortens your timeline. You don't think about savings anymore. All you think about eventually is like surviving day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I still have that reflex. I I do very well because of my job and because I have a frugal uh, lifestyle. But I still have the reflex of I buy a bunch of things that that I know know they're not going to go to waste. I... I um I pay off the stuff that I need to. I don't have debt. I only owe my house a little bit. Um, I, I have the reflex of buying stuff that will uh, serve me for many years, and I invest in 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 my own joy, like traveling and, and things that I enjoy. But but uh but that's it. I still don't trust um putting my money on cyber. I have to because I have a a retirement fund, but uh, I I'm still not that convinced. I don't <laughs> see it. I can't touch it. Right. It, it 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 messes with your head. Yep. What family do you still have down there? Like uh, friends and family down there, and and yeah. what are they going through? So my I have my sister, and my two nieces, and my father who lived uh has been lived here in the U.S. Gosh, since the early nineties. He retired. He's kind of well, not kind. Of, he's very sick, and he was having trouble. Um, paying his bills here in the U.S., but his savings are in dollars. So paradoxically, 
he he moved back to Argentina, and let's say he's investing around three thousand dollars a month to live, and he lives very well with that in Argentina because dollar is still the king. It's the it's the currency that still has value outside of the U.S. I'm not sure wow. how long this is gonna um, hold, but that's that's what is happening. So. He, he doesn't have health insurance. He pays out of pocket everything he needs. He rents a place. He's got people who take care of him 24-7. My sister on the other side, she's a therapist, and she does okay. But uh, for a therapist, uh, same thing. She works three or four jobs, and she goes from here to there, drives him back and forth. She doesn't have a huge concept of saving. She has the reflex of, I have money in my hand. I'm going to go ahead and do this or that before it evaporates. Again, it's 10% monthly right now. That's yeah, no joke. hot potato. And have, yeah, and I have friends who are doctors, and they work in two or three different places, and they live well, but they're running around, and they're my age. I'm not running around anymore. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Well, I mean, good for you. Uh, good for you. It, it looks like you've got a, a, a nice setup there. And what is it, Virginia now? Yes, Woodstock, Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley. Nice. But, I, but, I, but I'll say this, Rachel. Um, um, I'm trying to articulate this. I've been there before. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime, but I, but the U.S. might be headed the same way. It's just going to be a slower crash because the dollar is still the still won't be much longer the the gold standard of the world, but yeah. not for much longer because they're printing like crazy. So I can see it. I can. People say it's never going to happen here. Oh, sit and wait, watch it. Watch really? It I think so. Yeah. Not sure if it's going to happen in my lifetime. I hope not. But if, if something doesn't change, uh, n- nothing is backing up the dollar. Nothing. It's a it's it's a like a like a la la land. Like let's keep on printing because we are the the, the dollar printers here. So and the dollar still stands all over the world. At some point, that's going to fall. As we were talking before. There's mm-hmm. other countries that are getting together and saying, hey, look, let's just use – I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. In Argentina, they're using the Chinese um, uh, coin. They're using Chinese currency in Argentina. Yeah, they are. They yeah. Are. That's scary. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of see the whole world gradually, bit by bit, baby steps, de-dollarizing. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it feels like it's going to happen very slow at first and then mm-hmm. all at once. You know, is is the fear, and I mean, I don't think you can predict it. I don't think you can put a date or a timeline on what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, this money printing is toxic, and it leads to what happened in Argentina. Yeah. Um. So, uh, last question, then I'll let you go. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on um, Malay? The presidential candidate that Tucker Carlson just interviewed. What do you? Oh, I know. I know him. Very, I mean, I, I know of him. Um, again, let me let me articulate this. Uh, Millet is capitalizing on a country that is in despair of 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 leadership and normalcy. That's what you see. Yeah, but Millet is a dangerous character. I have no political affiliations. And I can't see, I, I don't like anybody who's out there, but Millet, if you look at the way he talks, and you look at him very closely, how he talks, you have to listen to him in Spanish. 
the way he talks about his opponents, he 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 doesn't he doesn't mock them, he doesn't insult them. He calls them the lower scum of the earth, and that we're gonna dis, we're gonna effing destroy them. I mean, he and he, the way he talks when he says these things. Pay attention to the way he dresses, the, the leather jackets. Look at his hair. Look at his face when he talks. I noticed his hair right away. <laughs> right. He reminds me and anybody who pays attention of Germany in the 1930s. And paradoxically, the guy is Jewish. So I'm not saying he's a he's a Nazi in the way that he hates Jews. I'm saying that he is capitalizing on a population that is desperate for for something different. He is not articulate. He's not intelligent. If you if you listen to him talk on 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 Carlson's interview. You can tell who he is, but people are, are desperate. Here I am saying that right. as I sip a glass of wine on my on my very nice house that I built. That people who have nothing and somebody comes and sweet talks you and tells you we're gonna we're gonna he said we're gonna bomb or destroy or put on fire the the national bank or the central bank, and we're gonna we're gonna effing crush uh, the communists and blah blah blah. He's he has a lot of violence in him, a lot of it. You you see him uh, dehumanizing his opponents. Exactly. There's no debate there. And that's a dangerous thing. Um, if if you've studied um, modern Germany and how Hitler came to power, yeah. uh, he kind of took advantage of a bad situation. The the Weimar Republic, the hyperinflation, and all the. Um, the reparations that were put on Germany after World War One, and it was a desperate country. And then basically Hitler jumps out in front of an angry mob with a pitchfork. Um, but I mean, I don't, I, I don't have a strong opinion on Millet. I don't know very much about him, but it's interesting to get your perspective. And I'll, um, I'm also talking to a, an, another fellow in Argentina, uh, in a few days and I'll get his perspective as well. Apparently he loves the guy. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll hear. Interesting to hear him. but, but I mean, I listened to the Tucker Carlson interview and I really liked what he said, but I want to hear somebody say those things. Maybe there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they desperately want to hear these things and he knows what they want to hear. And if he just says these things, then they'll put him in power and then watch what happens. I mean, it, it happens over and over and over, but I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I mean, there's no answer. Who do you we, vote for except for the guy that says what you think is the right thing? Because the other two candidates been there, done that. So I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is the president of Argentina. And I hope I'm wrong in everything I'm saying. I really am because I wish the best. I my I am a pariah between Argentina and the United States because I love both countries in different perspectives, mm-hmm. but I love them both. And, You're just uh, cautiously optimistic or cautious, cautiously pessimistic. Something like that. The, the, <laughs> the, the one, the one, and I'll I'll end with this. Uh, the one big division that I could do, and I'm borrowing this from a friend who who is a, a very analytical person of uh, of the Argentina situation. There's a divide between the people who deep down want the best or love Argentina and the ones who don't. The problem is that the ones who love Argentina have destroyed Argentina too. They have. So you cannot look up to them. You just can't, not as leaders. And there's people who will sell the country for two bucks. The the, the, the prior president, uh, Macri, who I had hopes for, 
got the biggest uh, loan from the IMF in the history of the IMF. And the people that were before, you can criticize them all you want. I know I've done it, the Kirchner. They had paid off that debt. So who do you trust? Who do you trust? The crazy guy in leather jacket that says he's going to crush the communists? That's scary. But who else will the people trust? And again, I'm here very comfortable while people are starving or eating rice seven days a week. Who are they going to look at? Yeah. Oh, it's a mess. But I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you you got to do the best you can for you and your family and try to prepare for an uncertain future. I hope so. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Julian Martinez, thank you okay. so much. It's been a pleasure, Rachel. Keep in touch. Okay. Thank you. Right. You will take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that was the very insightful Dr. Julian Martinez, an obstetrician from Argentina. Thank you so much for that insight. Next up, we've got Adam Dubove, who runs a financial newsletter in Argentina. He is on the ground in Buenos Aires right now today. Here's the conversation I had with him. All right. Well, thank you so much, Adam Dubove. Is that the right pronunciation? Yes, that's fine. Thank you for joining me on the LearCast. It's great to have you today. Um, now, I know very little about you. I know that you're in Argentina and you're a financial guy. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. So, hey, Rachel, yes, thank you for, for inviting me. And I was born and raised here in Argentina. I have lived all my life in in Buenos Aires. I'm also having all my life a libertarian. Uh, I ran for office with a small libertarian party we created back in 2013. We tried to, to get some seats in the local legislature. We unfortunately got only 6,000 votes out of a couple of millions. So it was not very successful. And then I moved to journalism and life took me to found and now run an online uh, financial advising firm called Ichimoku Fibonacci. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. I did look at your website a little bit. It's, it's very fascinating. Um, but in particular, I'm really interested in the experience, like the lived experience of hyperinflation. Like, what is it like when the money breaks? And being in Argentina, um, my understanding is you all have been through this a few times. Yeah, so just to put you in context, the average average annual inflation of Argentina over the last 100 years is around 100%. So that's the average annual inflation for the country. I was born in 1989, which was amid a hyperinflation. My mother always tell, 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 tells me about how she would stop working at lunchtime and she would go to the supermarket in order to buy groceries, to buy my diapers. Because if she go, if she went later, a couple of hours later, then their money she earned that, that morning would be worthless. The um, prices change hour by hour. Mm -hmm. So you read in the supermarkets and they are starting to show up again, this type, that type of banners that say that Price at shelf is uh, price may change from what is displayed at the shelf. So when you arrive to the cashier, it may be a different price than it was when you pick up the product from the shelf. Wow. That, so, that was back, back in 1989 when there was hyperinflation, like 1000, 3000% 3, 
inflation in one year. So that was almost 30 years ago. But it's not quite that bad right now. No. So the following 10 years after hyperinflation, I grew up amid an illusion that my country had a stable mon uh, currency because we had a hard peg with the dollar, one to one, peso to, for, to dollar. So there was no inflation. There was no um, concerns about the exchange rate and all the stuff that's going on now. But this lasted until 2001, when there was a crisis and the government left this convertibility, this hard peg, and then it restarted the inflationary cycle of Argentina. So right now, we are at 130% 130 of annual inflation. It has grown over the last, it has accelerated over the last uh, three years. And while right now it's not a, like, as extreme as it was, as I told you, mm -hmm. uh, back in 1989, there are some behavioral changes in people, such as not keeping your pesos and immediately changing your pesos for US dollars, for stable coins, for whatever is, loses less value than, than the Argentine peso. Yeah. So my, my question is in that kind of economic environment, if you're a worker, you have a job, why would you accept payment in pesos? Well, because first there's a regulation that uh, workers, to. yes, they have to. I mean, actually, the regulation is that employers can't pay more than 20% of the wages in other thing that other than peso, in another currency than peso. So, okay. um, so this is what the regulation said. But there is a lot of uh, you know black market labor people who who works unregistered and there is a lot of Argentines who have been working now for overseas since our currency is so depreciated it's so it's, it's valueless then a lot of companies abroad can hire Argentine talent for uh, much lower salaries than they would do it in the US or in Europe so there is like a new class of Argentines that get their income from abroad so they might earn three four thousand dollars a month and that kind of money here, if you are a single person or do you live in a couple with one child, that's a, a, a good earning, a good wage to, to make ends meet. So you, you can uh, live pretty well on $3,000 a month. Well, yeah, you're a king with $3,000 a month. The average wage here is around three to $400. Dollars or pesos? Three to $400. So that's around, uh, 300,000 pesos. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, um, so for most of your life, you, you thought you had like a, a relatively stable economic environment. What is it like and how do you know when the money is breaking? Well, actually, it was the first 10 years of my life that it was a stable environment. And mm -hmm. Then you, you start to realize that first it starts very slowly, gradually, because, um, we had like 10 years of inflation around 10 to 20%, which is high in, in terms of world inflation, but it's not as disruptive as a, a disruptive as 140% inflation. Yeah. And what you first start to, to realize is that, um, you are earning more money. Because nominally the number goes up and you start thinking, oh, well, now I'm in the five, in the five, uh, digits sums and, uh, uh my company is going better. 
but suddenly uh, and shortly you realize that your money is not as worth as it was before. And this starts, uh, starts incorporating a lot of complications for uh, planning long term. Imagine I can't plan my prices long term. And even for uh, people who get an income, who get paid a, a, a monthly wage, they, their wage every single month uh, is uh, worth less because uh, inflation moves faster than uh, wages are raised. So, so the wages don't keep up with the inflation. No, they don't keep up with with, with inflation. And even though you, so, you might be getting a raise more often, but it's it's it doesn't quite keep up. Absolutely. So this in, in, this this brings another another problem that people now don't get raises because of their productivity, because they've done a good job. They just get a raise because it's been adjusted for inflation. So you start losing uh, perspective of whether you are getting compens- re- rewarded because of your job or you're just getting adjusted because now your salary can buy less things. Right. Yeah. So you're the second person that I've talked to about um, Argentinian inflation. And um, my other guest will be on the same episode. Um, we talked about how inflation shortens your timeline and it makes it so that you you don't save anything, like you can't save anything. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if people can save a thing, uh, they can save. They can save little amount of their of their money. So what you will see is that we are living here in, in particularly in Buenos Aires, which is a wealthy area, but we are living amid a cris- an economic cri- crisis. But then you go out to the restaurants, to bars, to shopping centers, and you will see all the restaurants are filled with people. There is no one table uh, to get. You need to make reservations in advance. And that's because mainly, because if you, if you don't have any long-term perspective, you don't see, okay, if I want to buy a car, I would have to be saving for 12 years in order to get a car with my savings capacity. So instead of saving for a car, instead of saving for uh, a house, instead of saving for my child's education, I would go out and have dinner, have fun, uh, forget about the crisis because it's, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't make sense to save. Uh, if you can save hundred and hundred fifty dollars per month, you feel like everything is unreachable. You can't, you don't see, and, and you don't see a, a hopeful future. Yeah. You see, okay. The, the because money. that $150 a month is a big sacrifice now. And in 12 years, when you need it, I mean, it's going to be worth pennies, you know? Absolutely. And, and here in Argentina, there is like an idolization for the US dollar. The US dollar is a demigod. Um, right. When you have a, a currency like the peso that has, uh, actually, this is our fifth currency in the last hundred years. Oh, wow. Um, and we removed 13 zeros from the previous currencies. 13 so, zeros? Yes. And we now need to remove two extra zeros. So when you see that your, your currency is worthless and it has been worthless for the last hundred years and you see the U.S. dollar, despite losing 97% of its purchasing power in the last 100 years, in comparison to the uh, to the Argentine peso, the U.S. dollar is hard money, sun money. Yeah, it, it, it's an alternative that means something, right? Um, that's really interesting. So 
Um, what what we're concerned about here in the states is the spending seems to be accelerating, and we're wondering if the dollar is going to go the same way as the Argentinian peso someday, not tomorrow, not next week, next month. I mean, who knows when? But it just seems like the politicians here don't seem to have a handle on the spending, and that's the danger: is how do you stop it? How do you stop the dollar from going the way of the peso? And in, in fact, if there were no dollar, what would Argentinians do? And a lot of these other places that are experiencing hyperinflation, Zimbabwe is probably the same way. Um, you you have the dollar to fall back on, but what if that goes away? Well, I think that Argentine people is not thinking about uh, that right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like an immediate problem for for us. But I can tell you that. Um, the Argentines have been using U.S. dollars for a, for 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 decades for large transactions such as real real estate and mm-hmm. buying imported cars and now more and more now more and more transactions are are, are made in U.S. dollars. Now, and, it, and- is it is it legal to price real estate or cars in U.S. dollars? Is that legal or is that kind of under the table? I think it's legal. I'm not sure, but I've seen ads everywhere. In, in, in okay, so it's done out in the I, open. I, I, I get. I believe it's legal. What is illegal is to buy U.S. dollars. If if you want to exchange your pesos for the U.S. dollars, you probably have to go to the black market because it's, everyone is almost banned from buying dollars in the. Oh wow! You can't you can't exchange. So yeah, we we saw on Tucker's video he had to go to some secret place like a drug deal or something to change. <laughs> Uh, pesos into dollars so that's like technically illegal absolutely it's illegal and there is a gap because uh, a price gap because the official exchange rate is at 350 pesos per u.s dollar but the black market exchange rate is almost double it's a 750 pesos per u.s dollar so importers could would import at 350 pesos per u.s dollar but then when they want to sell to the people, they would price their items at a 700 pesos per dollar because they don't know if their next, when they need to buy again their, their, their merchandise, they will have to pay more because it's a change of change, changing of regulations or a yeah. new, a new political measure that, that, that restricts access to, to the exchange rate, to the official exchange rate. So the economy is pretty crazy here and the money. So it's not only inflation, but how you get dollars and how, uh, for example, farmers are robbed like 60 or 70% of what they produce, um, including this exchange rate gap, taxes, export tax. So there is a lot of, um, so this, this monetary scheme plays a large role as well as in capturing rent from from the private sector. Wow. It's just it it's a lot to think about. It like it it's so chaotic. Um just just to wrap your brain around how it changes everything. It changes everything. How you structure your life, how you think about savings, retirement, education, mm-hmm. big purchases. Everything is 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 chaotic down there relative to what we're used to and what we take for granted up here in the United States. Um, so uh, last question. Um, what are your thoughts on Javier Millet? You so, have opinions, thoughts? What do you think about him? Well, I think he, he has 
he has already made a large impact in the political debate in Argentina. The Argentinian political debate was very tilted to the left, like um, the most libertarian uh, proposal you would hear is like, let's not raise taxes to people earning more than a million dollars. Let's do it for those that earn more than two million dollars. So there was <laughs> almost no no free market friendly position in the political debate. And Javier Milei has um, transmitted to the people, conveyed a message of and explained uh, why Argentina has been going through all this crisis over the last hundred years. And it has uh, connected with the people. Um, I, I don't agree 100% with, with, with what he, he, he says, his positions, but I think it's a really necessi necessary change in Argentina to, you know, it's a change of, of, of mind frame of th that, that you're operating in. He started he, a dialogue. Yes, he went from, like, all the, the problem here was there, is, there was a very, really um, strong rift, a strong divide between the Peronistas, which is like the, the, the long, long-standing interventionist movement, and mm -hmm. the center-right opposition. So this was, there is, was this large, strong, intense divide in the society, like what happened in the U.S. with, with Trump. But mm -hmm. here it has been, it has been going on for the last 20 years. So, oh, wow. Lay comes out from nowhere from the TV. He was invited to TV talk shows and that kind of stuff. And he says, so the problem is not the discussion between Peronistas and center-right conservative party, but both of them are part of a political case that exploit the government in order to enrich themselves and impoverish the population of the country. So he's shifted the debate from focusing between two political groups to focusing between the political elite, the political class, and the people. Right. Do you trust him? I learned not to trust politicians. <laughs> he, I mean, he brings me hope. And I've been hopeless, hopeless about politics since I took part in partition politics 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I relate so, to that. <laughs> so he brings me hope. I feel he doesn't disappoint me and all the Argentines. But really, uh, there are two things in life that brings me hope right now. It's Bitcoin and Javier Millet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not against Bitcoin. I have some myself. Um, obviously I, am I'm, I'm more bullish on gold and silver because it's tangible. You know, I can trust something that I can hold in my hand and doesn't, you know, break when the power goes out, but you know, it, it's all part of diversification as far as, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, it, it's good to have Bitcoin, um, in an, in an environment like that, but it's, it's also good to diversify, I would think. Absolutely, but you, you know there is not because of what we spoke, we talked before the the strength of the dollar in comparison to the U.S. peso. People hasn't looked into investment options besides because the U.S. dollar here is an investment we consider yeah. it an investment. So they they haven't considered anything beyond the U.S. dollar, but and, and there is not there is a lack of financial education here. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Despite all the problems, people I mean, might know. At least you understand that? hyperinflation and probably money printing. You, you probably mm -hmm. have, have got that down. 
Absolutely, you can speak with a taxi driver about the default, the debt default, about exchange rates, about interest rates. So here in Argentina, almost everyone that follows the news has a PhD in economics in distressed countries, at least. Yeah. Uh, but 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 there's no financial education in the sense of people now. People because of the inflation are starting to look into the stock market in order to preserve their 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 worth, their assets. But mm. there, it's not as popular as maybe it's in other countries such such as the U.S. Right, right. Whole concept of saving and long time frame. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Anything else you wanted to touch on before we let you go? Um, no, I think it's been very comprehensive this conversation, and I'm looking forward that U.S. politicians can learn a thing or two from Javier Milei. Cool. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Adam Debove. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. I don't know about you, but those perspectives blew my mind. Can you imagine grabbing something for your shopping cart in the grocery store? And by the time you reach the front of the store, the price has gone up. And yes, they have dollars and consider them to be good as gold for now. But if our dollar were to tip into a major cycle of inflation, what would we have? The point is, you do much better if you've got an alternative that is more reliable and more stable than your currency that is tipping into hyperinflation. I have to think precious metals would be a huge part of surviving hyperinflation here in the U.S. That's just my guess, just my guess. But I don't think we're going to be trying to get our hands on Russian rubles or anything if that should happen. Moving on, our weekly commentary was on the new CPI numbers, Bidenomics, how it's going. Prices going up, wages coming down, in a nutshell. Updated Consumer Price Index CPI numbers were released by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Was it good news? It depends on who you ask. Some will tell you the numbers looked better than expected and that inflation is normalizing. Like, that's a good thing. Others will point out that inflation is still hot. And even though the aggregate numbers looked relatively tame at 0.6%, the unadjusted 12-month figure of 3.7% is still well above the target 2%. And the real concern is the big jump in energy and gas prices in particular. Energy as a category rose a whopping 5.6%, the biggest increase of the year. And gasoline, what you pay at the pump, is up 10.6%. This is a big concern. And if OPEC maintains their production cut, this could continue to rise, possibly even dramatically over the next few months. This all translates to a decline in real wages of 0.5% right when you can least afford it. And indeed, People on the ground are not buying official inflation numbers based on their lived experience of higher prices at the grocery store and higher utility bills, higher everything. They don't care what the BLS indicator says. They know what they are paying for the things they need the most. This is a predictable result of rampant money printing. The term money printing often conjures up images of central banks frantically churning out banknotes. However, the reality is more nuanced. Monetary expansion includes actions like stimulus programs, aid and bailouts to various industries and countries, quantitative easing, and adjusting interest rates. 
when all of these newly created dollars hit the streets and chase the same or fewer goods, you have a recipe for inflation. And with Saudi Arabia cutting their oil output, we have a lot of extra dollars competing for a dwindling oil supply. So no wonder gas prices jumped this month. Gasoline is the lifeblood of the economy. When gas prices go up, everything goes up. And it's not just a concern for the average consumer filling up their tank. There are far-reaching consequences that can wreak havoc across the entire economy. And I'll list a few ways. Consumer spending. As the cost of filling up the gas tank increases, consumers have less disposable income to spend on other goods and services. This reduction in consumer spending can lead to decreased demand for products, which can, in turn, result in reduced production and layoffs in other industries. Cost push inflation. When transportation costs increase due to rising fuel prices, companies often pass these costs on to consumers in the form of higher prices for goods and services. This phenomenon, known as cost push inflation, can erode purchasing power and reduce the standard of living for many individuals and families. Next, transportation. For industries heavily reliant on trucking, such as the shipping and logistics sector, Increased fuel costs can result in higher operating expenses. These added expenses can lead to increased shipping costs for businesses and ultimately affect the prices consumers pay for goods. Next, manufacturing and production. Manufacturers and industrial companies often rely on fuel for their operations, from running machinery to transporting raw materials and finished products. When gas prices rise, these companies face increased production costs. This can either lead to reduced profit margins or, in some cases, the passing of these costs onto consumers in the form of higher prices for manufactured goods. In other words, more inflation. Agriculture. Higher gas prices can lead to increased production costs for, for farmers. These added expenses can translate into higher food prices, affecting not only consumers but also food security and overall economic stability. Small businesses. Higher fuel costs can strain struggling budgets and make it more difficult to compete with larger corporations. Small businesses often have limited resources to absorb increased operational expenses. And then economic growth in general. When gas prices soar, it can put a damper on economic growth overall. High fuel costs can reduce consumer confidence and lead to de decreased spending, causing businesses to scale back operations and investments. This, in turn, can lead to slower economic growth and, in some cases, recessionary pressure, pressures. So watch out for continued repercussions of money printing and higher energy costs. This could be the next leg down for the economy. Do you have tangible assets the government can't print away? Gold and silver are great buys right now, still off the highs for the year, but central bank buying is heating up. Make your purchases now before the People's Bank of China and other central banks drive gold even higher. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to call 1-800-816-5452 and speak to one of our account representatives about what they recommend in precious metals if you're in the market. And we'll see you next week. This has been the Learcast, a Lear Capital production. Thank you for listening.